Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather podcast, Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller, joined in the studio by my producer, Andy Robb. This week, we get a glimpse into what it's like to be a female chief meteorologist at a major television market. Cecily Tynan has been doing the weather in Philadelphia at WPVI for over 20 years. That's right. Six ABC Action News in Philadelphia. AccuWeather's very first TV partner back in the early 1970s. And we're going to be joined by friend of the show and meteorologist Dave Dombeck to talk about our partnership with WPVI. And we'll also talk about how things have changed over the years being a woman in the industry and how social media has changed the way we communicate. It's all coming up. You don't want to miss it. Well, so excited to be joined on the phone right now by Cecily Tynan from WPVI Action News in Philadelphia. Thanks for talking to me today, Cecily. Hello. I'm so happy to be here and to be talking with you. Thank you. Yeah. And you know who's super excited is my producer, Andy Robb, and then uh, Ken Pro. He's our director of audio services, and they're like Philly guys. <laughs> so oh, great. <laughs> I've been here for a while. so <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what I was finding out here from uh, getting ready for this podcast. It seems like uh, people from Philly love you like they love the Eagles. <laughs> well, awesome. I, I appreciate that. Well, I've been here for more than 23 years now. And it's funny, when I first got here, I, it was, I came here in October of 95. And in January of 96, of course, we had the infamous blizzard of 96, oh, Philadelphia's wow. biggest snowstorm. And so I was, I was outside broadcasting because I was low person on the totem pole as far as you know, the meteorology department. And I was outside pretty much for 18 hours straight. So I think I won over some hearts then. I think they just felt sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's trial by fire, but it worked out pretty well for you in the long run. Exactly. So. And I love it here. You know, Philadelphia is my home now. That's great. Well, how did you get started? Like, how did you begin your career path in meteorology? Well, I actually kind of almost backdoor way. I, I always knew that, I mean, since I was in high school, I knew I wanted to get into broadcasting. I actually remember watching the space shuttle uh, Challenger disaster and watching Dan Rather communicating you know, so much important information to the entire country and thinking, well, that's what I want to do. So I went to Washington Lee University. I double majored in politics and journalism, thinking I wanted to be a political anchor reporter. And I did an internship for CNN in London and then several with WDBJ, the CBS affiliate in Roanoke, Virginia. And they hired me as a weekend reporter when I was still in college. And that was a part-time job. I did that for about a year. And then the weekend weathercaster position opened up. I auditioned for it after practicing in that big screen for a lot of a long time, um, I got it, and then I realized that um, this is the most important part of the newscast, and I found the challenge of meteorology exciting, and then I started to take classes in meteorology, and so, and then it took me about eight years 
to um, to finish up and get my seal in meteorology from the American Meteorological Society. And thinking back on it, I thought, man, I wish I knew ahead of time. <laughs> you know, it would have right. taken me four years of college. But at the same point, I feel like I got a really really good liberal arts education, and and I, I guess I wouldn't really change anything because I'm really happy where I am now. You know, it's interesting because your uh, your path sounds a little bit like mine because I started out as a reporter and eventually ended up in the meteorology department. Same kind of thing where a job opened up, but it is interesting when you say about the most important job, one of the most important things is communicating weather because it affects everybody. Exactly. And that, that's really what I, and I felt like when my, my first station in Roanoke, Virginia, there are a lot of farmers there. Um, the weather was really the important, most important thing in their life. And I feel like a lot of times we are doing a public service. You know, we're alerting people. We're not just telling people all the time if they need an umbrella or not, but sometimes we're alerting to them you know, for dangerous weather. And, and at the same point, sometimes um, we're having some fun, you know, when right. the weather isn't dangerous <laughs> right. and allowing our personality to get through in the newscast. And so it, it, I feel blessed to be working here at Action News for so long and to have viewers who, who have been watching us for decades and every now and then I meet a, a young Cecily and find out from the <laughs> mom that they watched me you know, when right. the mom was pregnant and like my name and that's like that's the biggest honor ever because especially growing up I really didn't like my name it was so unusual and so that you know that made me feel like well I guess I have been here for a while that <laughs> I'm is meeting, so I'm meeting cool. teenage Cecilies you know in the <laughs> Delaware Valley and Lehigh Valleys which is really neat oh my gosh that's awesome well you know <laughs> what brought you to Philadelphia and, and what kept you there you know I um I so I started uh in Roanoke Virginia I was there for about two years, and then I got a job offer at KTNV, the ABC affiliate in Las Vegas, Nevada, to be the morning weathercaster, and then I was a reporter, and then I was also the morning anchor after a while. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really been to Las Vegas, and I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And I thought, I'll probably meet a lot of people because everyone goes to Las Vegas at some point in their life. Right. And it turned out that they had the National Association of Broadcasters Convention out there. And the assistant news director at Channel 6 in Philadelphia was out there looking for a new um, weather computer. And he watched me every morning. So I got a phone call out of the blue. And they were looking for a weekend weathercaster here. Uh, Rob Jennings, the anchor, had been reading the weathercast for, I think, 18 years or something. And and so they finally wanted a weekend weathercaster. And being from the East Coast, I was born and raised uh, in Newtown, Connecticut. I knew that after two years out West, I really wanted to come back East. And as soon as I walked in for my interview, I was also interviewing at a TV station in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I walked in here, it felt like home. And I liked the people right away. And, yeah, and I ne- never turned back. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. think I signed a two-year contract, and now I've been here 23 years. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and it is. it would be like coming back home. So you're not so far from family and everyone. Exactly. Yeah, and I just I, I realized I'm, I'm really an East Coast girl. And Connecticut's not that far uh, from Philadelphia. And actually, now my my father my father's passed. My brother moved to Atlanta, but my mom has now moved into the area. So that's really nice. So this now is is our home, and I've I've raised a family here, so it's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. So your mom can go with you when you're doing all the skiing things with your kids. <laughs> Well, and she also she also likes watching. She she likes to watch the news um, every night, and she likes to tell me what she thought of my outfits. <laughs> and then I do I do live weather chats every afternoon, 
and she I got her an, an iPhone and she's almost 87 now and she is one of the first to comment usually and it, it we're communicating through my Facebook chat sometimes which is kind of funny <laughs> well I just want to remind those listening to us I'm talking to Cecily Tynan from WPVI Action News in Philadelphia and one of the things I thought would be interesting to talk to you about uh, Cecily is about social media and how mm-hmm. it's changed the way we communicate in our industry. So can you tell me, during the time you've worked in weather, how much interaction you had with viewers before the age of social media and compare that to recent years? You know, very little. I think before the age of social media, the communication was a one-way street for the most part um, that, you know, I would communicate to them through the TV and and if they wanted to communicate back they'd write a letter typically or every now and then a phone call but it was it was pretty rare and now with social media it's i mean it's amazing it's it's we have a, there's a two-way conversation going on between me and the viewer and between a lot of viewers and i do a daily live video chat and on my facebook page and then if if i am tracking a big storm i usually do a, a periscope on twitter and i started doing live instagrams and i love it because people can ask me questions um if they have an event coming Coming up, I can go into the forecast in a lot of detail, and I've actually it's gotten to where I do recognize some viewers' names and faces, and it's kind of neat because I've heard through the years, you know, I feel like I know you. What people would say to me, and I say, well, you do know me. You know, the person (laughs) you see on TV is is that's that's who I am. But now with social media, I feel like I know them as well, and I feel like that we also, as far as forecasting, it's it's kind of 24/7 now. That my job doesn't end when I'm off the set. That if we have a big storm, you know, I'm I'm constantly on the way. I'm I'm constantly posting things about it. I'm answering questions. And the workload has definitely increased. But I love that. I just I really think it's really opened the door on communications. And a lot of people, they do look at other, they're informed viewers. Sometimes they, they look at other sites or they see something else. I mean, sometimes it's misinformation um, on social media. You have to be careful of that. But I think that I have an opportunity to clear it up by having this two-way conversation. Right, that's true. And how's it has it changed the timing of your messaging when it comes to weather events? Have you found that it's harder to hold off a viewer on snow totals, for example, or you know? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much immediate now, and that's what sometimes I'm at home on weekends and I'm I'm hovering on my computer posting something and trying to get it done so before I can go to my kid's soccer game or something. Yeah, it really it's immediate and I think that people appreciate that and and I like it too even though you know it does take a lot of time and sometimes it takes a lot of your personal time I feel like in an age now where there's so many different sources of information of weather information there there's so many apps and there's so many different places where you can get that weather information the fact that people keep tuning in to uh, Channel 6 Action News over and over again um, I think part of it is because we do have this relationship through social media, and I think it does build trust. So have you found that, um, like you said, there's so many different avenues that they can go to get weather and misinformation, unfortunately, uh, on the Internet. So have you found just that relationship helps them to know, if I really want to know what's happening, I'm going to ask Cecily. 
Exactly, and and because I think there sometimes there are some you know snowfall computer maps that uh, you know people post, and it's some you know a, a week before a potential event that shows you know two feet of snow, and it's one of these things, and all it goes viral, and then you're just trying to kind of you know, get people to, to step away from the cliff, like, well, hold on, right. you know, and, and a lot of the, what what I think is, is a little more difficult now is a lot of the information that we as meteorologists, we look at, um, a lot of times that does get posted, not from me, but from other sources. And some and a lot of that information is something that we we look and we digest and and we use it to to create a forecast. And it's really not information that just should be disseminated, you know, to the public and makes it look like it is a forecast. You know, I, I've always said that models are a guide, they're not a gospel. So in a way, the, the fact that there's a social media and there's so much available to the consumers, that sometimes that's a little bit dangerous because as all of your forecasters know that certain computer models have biases and sometimes there's a bad run and it's something that we use to create a forecast it's not it's not a forecast that a computer just just prints out so i think there is a bit of a danger with social media but at the same point i like that people come to me and say hey you know i saw this what do you think and i have an opportunity to kind of clear up the the misinformation out there well i had been uh looking at your some of the tweets that you had and and some of the replies and different things and and i know it can be frustrating at times like i had seen where somebody posted which i used to get this once i think every meteorologist has gotten this but where uh some guy posted i'd live a job where i could be wrong 100% of the time and still get a oh, huge yeah. income. Yeah, I get that. Well, that, and that's just, first of all, that is that is so cliche, <laughs> you know, and, and, and second of all, it's funny because it, it came after a forecast where, like, our forecast was dead on. I mean, I think we said Philadelphia would get around three inches of, of snow and sleet. We got 2.8, so it was just kind of funny, and, you know, you just get that. I mean, the social media, there are some trolls out there, and right. and that's that's part of the job, but I think that any forecaster, you know, once you've been in the business for a while, you got to do get a thick skin. Right. <laughs> you almost expect something like that. Right. I was actually surprised because it was also when the forecast w- was pretty much dead on. I mean, <laughs> right. when you're predicting the future, there are some forecasts that aren't going to pan out always as expected. Right. Well, uh, Dave Dombeck is sitting here with me, and I know that he works with your weather producer often, and you talk to him on occasion, so he's nodding Mm -hmm. as you're talking about how people (laughs) kind of run with some of those uh, forecasts that they find on the air. Oh, yeah, Cecily, I I know exactly. I think there were several years ago when there was some, uh, like a European, it was like the uh, 10-day European, it was like showing Mm -hmm. 40 inches of snow, whatever, and probably some some kid, you know, like 12-year-old kid got a screenshot and sent it out there, and mm-hmm. it went, like, totally viral. And the worst thing about that, if you remember, there was a storm coming before then. That was, like, 10 days away. But between, like, that time when it was posted and when that was supposed to have happened, that, you know, 10 days away, there was another storm, a very important storm, yeah. lesser. Yeah. And, like, nobody cared about that, you know, that we were going to get three to six inches of snow. And I remember, you know, going back to the Dave Roberts days. And I remember talking to Dave, and maybe we'd have one of those patterns where we've got two, maybe three storms lined up over the next yeah, week. Yeah. And Dave would always say, let's handle one at a time. Let's exactly. let's handle one exactly. storm at a time. We'll worry about that storm two and storm three later. Let's deal with storm number one right now. 
one of the things being a woman in the business, and I know that you can re- relate to, is you still get some really frustrating things that are directed at you. Like, for example, I saw that you had a tweet where you had driving tips. And then some oh, yeah. guys, like a woman giving driving tips, I, you know, and then he was like mm-hmm. rude after that, basically. <laughs> Very rude. Yeah, there was, and there, and there, uh, there's also sometimes where, you know, someone will, will complain, I'm wearing slacks and they don't like my outfit or something, where right. I, I've just explained, listen, you know, I'm a meteorologist, I'm not, I'm not a model, and <laughs> I, I realize that you may not like all my outfits, and that's fine, but I don't need to know about it. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I'm like, uh, hopefully people don't come up to you, people who don't, who you don't know, and say, I really don't like that dress, you know, I'm like, because it's, in the long scheme of things, you know, it, it, I'm going to wear something different tomorrow, so it's okay, so. Right, I know it, as I was doing it over the years, too, that the one thing, I did notice there was a difference in, in tone on social media towards me as a woman as opposed to some of my male colleagues. Have you found that very often? I have regarding stuff like that, you know, clothing and looks criticizing kind of your outfit or something. I mean, it's it's I think there was a case where there was um I can't remember which market, but there was a a male anchor I think wore the same exact suit and tie combination like for like a month <laughs> and right. nobody even commented. Yeah, I I do find that, but at at the same point I feel like uh, as a woman, that's something that you're going to encounter in really any aspect of your life. And so I feel like I try to try to focus and try, try to bring back conversation to meteorology and to the weather and show people that, you know, that I'm actually a pretty smart person. <laughs> you right. know, that, and I think a lot of women have gone through that through the, the years that in whatever field that you really want to be respected for, for what you do and not how you look. At the same point, it's TV. You know, I realize that, that is, it is visual at the same point. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, I've, I've, when I first got here, I was the only woman meteorologist. And now I think we actually have more women than men. Mm-hmm. So I think is in, as meteorologists here in Philadelphia. So I think, I think we're, we're earning respect, you know, from the viewers and the only people who typically ever call me weather girl, girl now are over 90. <laughs> a lot of times I don't that <laughs> Yeah, your, mo- your mom's got, what, three years to go, right? She's 87. Yeah, she knows better. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I was going to ask you, too, about, uh, I noticed starting um, before the age of, of social media really got ramped up, do you think it maybe was to an advantage to you as well? Because you started before that social media thing really got rolling. So you had a chance to build a rapport with your viewership before there was immediate interaction. Yeah, hopefully. I think, I think that, you know, I, I think it is a relationship that really is built on trust. And I think that the fact that I've been here for so long and I've weathered the storms with so many Literally. viewers and, and the big ones and in you know, the blizzard of 96 and Hurricane Sandy that um, hopefully, you know, I've, I've earned the respect of, of most people. And so I think in, on social media, I mean, there, there's there's always going to be an occasional troll. But I think for, I found for the most part, it's most of it is incredibly positive from from male viewers and from female viewers and and again I'm just I'm I'm just happy they're coming to us to try to get their forecast. Right. And like I said, I have our AccuWeather meteorologist, Dave Dombeck, who works with you you guys occasionally. And, and I thought maybe I'd kind of throw it out to you guys, some of your most memorable storms 
covering in the Philadelphia area. Definitely not the blizzard of 96. I mean, I remember that, Dave. <laughs> and and I remember just a few days beforehand being like, all right, we, we got to stop talking about the storm in inches. Yep. We got to start talking about it in feet. <laughs> you yeah. know, this, this is going to bury the area. And, and that storm, Cecily, uh, if you remember when you guys were here uh, about a year and a half ago for our 55th anniversary, and on mm-hmm. the one wall down the hallway there, uh, we have our, it's called our Wall of Fame, all the, you know, the big storms, yeah. a lot of big victories that we had over the years over our competition. And that is one of them that's highlighted, that, that blizzard of 96 storm. And we started actually, you know, here at AccuWeather, we started using the term blizzard um, mm-hmm. like four days beforehand. And at that yeah. time, you know, our competition, including the National Weather Service, had like either fair or partly cloudy, whatever. It wasn't until maybe two days before the storm that they even like went with like a, a chance of snow. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those we really kind of saw the teleconnections. It wasn't just like we picked the right model, you know, the eeny, meeny, yep, miny, yep. mo. We saw the con- teleconnections. We saw the potential for something like this to happen. We latched onto that idea. And then as we got closer, obviously, we fine-tuned our forecast. And like you said, yep. going from inches uh, to feet. But we really started playing up that potential. And boy, that was, like you said, what a memorable storm that was. Uh, Sandy, you you had mentioned, and oh, yeah. I I tell people, you know, I mean, this is this is probably no exaggeration. Uh, during a, about a seventy-two hour period leading up to and including the day of Sandy when it hit the Jersey Shore, I probably slept maybe five hours in seventy-two oh. hours. You know, you I, I was operating on adrenaline, but I know I was the same way. Yeah, I, I know. I remember I remember losing weight too. I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> eat. I couldn't sleep. And I remember with Sandy, it was five days beforehand where the European, one of the computer models, had that sharp left turn into the coast, which is yep. so unusual and kind of goes against almost everything. You know, you study in meteorology. Right. And I remember five days beforehand saying, you know, talking and talking to you, Dave, and saying, you know, I think we need to start talking about this possibility. And as we got closer, all of the other computer models started to jump on board, mm-hmm. and it became more clear that someplace in the mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, was going to really get hit hard by the storm. And I think with Hurricane Sandy or with the blizzard of 96, as a forecaster, and Dave, you know this, that there, there is always a balancing act because right. you want to alert the viewer ahead of time as to, you know, just how serious the storm is. But at the same point, you, you don't want to cause unnecessary panic. You don't want to mm-hmm. hype up a storm. Right. And, and I feel like we're, we're always kind of walking that line with, with these huge storms. You know, obviously, they're, they're much smaller events that typically happen. But with that, it's how, how do we alert the people to just how serious this is? without basically freaking them out, right. you know? And I, I felt like actually the very first station I started working in, I was working with Robin Reed at WDBJ. And I remember him saying that when you have something that, you know, a storm coming that, that causes the adrenaline, adrenaline to really start rushing, that you really have to be the calming influence because mm-hmm. nobody's going to want to watch you and find out their forecast from you if you scare them. Right. So you kind of have to step, you know, take a deep breath, step back, and explain to them. And I think that fortunately with working with AccuWeather that we've, we, we strike that balance. And with working with forecasters like Dave Dombeck and all the forecasters with AccuWeather and creating that consensus forecast, 
that, you know, we have established that we definitely are the most accurate forecast, you know, over the long term, and we earn people's trust, and then we can try to deliver that information and let people know when it's going to be a real serious storm. Right. I think you could kind of sum it up. We don't want, we never want to overhype. We don't want to mm-hmm. underhype. We want to be right. Exactly. We want to have the right information for people so they could make the, the right, the correct decisions and, and sometimes uh, life-saving decisions. And I know, and, I, and I'm sure you got that feeling knowing, you know, in Sandy, we, the work that we did in, the, in that time leading up to and including the day mm-hmm. of the storm, we very likely saved some people's lives. Exactly. You and know? where were you at? Uh, where did they send you, Cecily? Because I'm sure you were out and about at times during that Well, I was at the station, and um, because what basically what what we typically do now with big storms is that we send the crews out and about, and we have a meteorologist at the station. Okay. Because it really is easiest to to get that information out if if you're in the studio. So I was I was just here at the station for several days. Basically, we have a hotel within walking distance. And um and we yeah I think we had a lot of sleepless nights I think we were all working twelve hour on the air uh, shifts wow that that's point, a long you know, we time just, we went wall to wall which we typically do with any big storms whether whether it's something like Hurricane Sandy or if it's a big winter storm mm-hmm. that's exhausting but you got to do it when it's game time on something like that yeah exactly and and we do we we have such a great team here we have so many meteorologists now that it's it's you're typically working with somebody else and you're working uh, with a, a polar producer. And so it's one of these team efforts where it's just all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, 12 hour shifts on like on the air, it, it's exhausting, but at the same point, you, you got to get that information out. And, and with a big storm, I, I wouldn't want to be really any other place. Right. <laughs> you know, I right. want to be at work and I, wa- I want to be forecasting. I wanted to ask you, too, also, because uh, March is Women's Month, and so I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned when you came to Philadelphia, you were like the only woman there on the air, Mm -hmm. but, you know, how have you seen the industry change for women in broadcast meteorology during your time in the business? I do think that that women, again, like just as meteorologists, you know, you're no longer the weather girl, that, you know, you're not not up there, the women aren't just up there for eye candy. Right, (laughs) not just presenting something. Thing that they don't know anything about. I mean, like exactly right. I remember when the I was here for a few years and I got to go up to um, New York for a week and and fill in for Good Morning America and work with like Diane Sawyer. You know, wow, very <laughs> We're exciting. so respected in this field. And we had you know Lisa Thomas Laurie here. And I, I think that nowadays women are I think pretty close to equal footing as men in broadcasting at least at at this station I don't know what the deal is you know at, at other shops but at this station that's how I feel Right that's great so and how how far do we have yet to go because it sounds like we've come a long way where do you think the- we have yet to you know go. I actually feel like sometimes it's between women it's it's even with the social media that that's I, I've had a few sometimes comments by somebody you know about my appearance or uh, you know about you know my weight and I was saying I'm too skinny or something where I've, a few times I've said listen you know and you and typically they're from other women and my response usually is hey you know why don't we use social media and just life in general to try to to lift other women up 
instead of tearing them down. And I even have this conversation with my 11-year-old daughter. And, and I've said, you know, when, and, and, you know, with bullying stuff, whether it's online or face-to-face, and I've said, I've said to her, listen, if anyone is trying to bring you down, it's usually because they're unhappy with themselves. So don't let it bring you down. So I think that, but I've, I've, over the years, I've, I think I've seen less and less. And maybe it's because I block people sometimes. <laughs> but um, I think that I've, I've found that, that women are realizing that we really do have to support each other, that there's, there are a lot of other things going on, and there's, you know, there's so many cases you know, of Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby, and there, there's, there's so many other things happening that are kind of against women, that together we really should try to help each other. And I, f- I found even over the years that in this business that when I first got here, you know, the news directors, the assistant news directors, you know, the managing editors, they were all men. And now I've definitely seen the tide changing with that, where we have a woman assistant news director, the um, ABC owned and operated stations, um, their president is a, our president is a woman. And so I, I've, you see a lot more women in, in managing positions in broadcasting now. Right, which is great, because I, I did notice mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of times that the comments would come from women that I used to receive as well, and you're like, wow, you know, <laughs> we're, all in, we're all in this together. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, let's work together on this. Exactly. So what would your advice be to some of the young women maybe wanting and to enter the same career path as you? You know, first of all, do really well in school, and if you want to be a meteorologist, do well in math and science. I think get a good education I and mean, what whatever whatever college is you know is right for you and take it seriously and um also do internships. I had to kind of talk my my dad into that <laughs> when I first mm-hmm. wanted to do it um because basically you're working for free but it's it's really the only way you can get your foot in the door in this kind of business and don't give up. I mean it's hard in the beginning and it's it's hard to get that first job and you're you're eating, you know, ramen noodles and and tuna fish right <laughs> trying to make ends meet but it's like anything you know it, it's it's hard to start and then the, if you love it and if you work hard good things are going to happen right um, I agree with you because I told my daughters I have two adult daughters in their 20s and I'm like when you choose the career path you love be willing to do any of it like go after like exactly don't be, wait yep. to don't be asked it's, it's and nothing that is really worthwhile is ever that easy to try your best Well, thanks so much, Cecily. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Well, thank you. So nice to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Good talking to you, Cecily. Take care, Dave. All right. (laughs) Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, it was a great conversation with Cecily. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, Andy, we want to let people know where they can find her. Yeah, you can follow her at Cecily Tynan on Twitter and also check out 6abc.com to learn more about Channel 6 Action News in Philadelphia. I got to say, that was that was amazing. That was a great interview. It was really cool to do. I know, and I know you're excited because you're a Philly boy. Yep, so. <laughs> my hometown news growing up, actually. Right. Got to watch Cecily all the time, so that was Real great conversation. Yeah. Well, and you know what? We also not only want to tell people where to find Cecily, but we want to tell people where to find us. So you can go to AccuWeather.com, but better yet, you can download our AccuWeather app. That's right. Just go to Google Play or the App Store, click the orange sun, and get the best weather at your fingertips with the AccuWeather app. Right. And subscribe to our podcast. We would love that. (laughs) See you here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. 
Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast.